and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kiddushin, Dat Tet Vav, page 15. So we're continuing in the discussion of this Gezerah Shavah that we saw in the previous daf. Yerdena, you talked about it. Between Sachir and Sachir, right? The terms each appear one in a verse in Vayikra, in Leviticus, and one in a verse in Devarim, Deuteronomy. And then the question is, the Gemara raises the question of, who doesn't think that that Gezerah Shava is to be upheld as teaching what you already talked about, what we already talked about at teaching in terms of this hired worker, quote unquote, right, the Sakhir, um, and when he goes free and so on. So the the Gemara here, I'm on, I don't know, midway through Amad Aleph, literally this, right? Who says that we don't draw that analogy? Um, because we know, and this becomes important later in terms of knocking out who doesn't think this. Rebbe Lazar thinks this. The Tanakama thinks that, right? Hi, Tanahu, Tanya Vashav El Mishpachtov Gomer. So the Gemara says, is it that Tana who taught the following Breita, namely Amar Rebbe Lazar Ben Yaakov B'Me'ak Katuv Medaber? There's this in the context of the Yovel year, right? When he's gonna the Sachir when the the hired worker is going to go free, right? And he's going to go home to his own family, whatever. So that's what Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov says. What is it talking about when it says he shall go home to his own family? That's in the verse in Vayikra, right? If um, if you're saying that he sold himself and then the Yovel came along, right? During his times of his years of slavery. And it says, we already know this from the verse, he will labor with you until that year of Yovel, and then he will go free, meaning you don't need a Gzair Sheva to teach you that the hired worker is going to go free at the time of the Yovel, because the verse itself already says that. You Gzair Sheva has to teach something beyond the plain sense of the text. So then the Gemara says, well, a what if we're talking about the slave who's, right, the whole process with piercing his ear to the door and so on, right, meaning he has consigned himself to a different kind of servitude. So then that's also already been said. Namely, So, so okay, so we already know the story of the, the ear guy, right? The guy whose ear is pierced. So rather, it has to be that the verse meaning the Sakhir, Sakhir, if you're going to draw out the Gzer Shavah and say we don't draw the Gzer Shavah, then the verse is talking about nothing other than, it's a, diff- it's a difficult construction, but right? meaning it's only talking about the case of a man, a person, who's sold by the court, it's two to three years, that's what it says literally, right? Two or three years before the Yovel, and then the Yovel is going to come along and release the person from slavery, meaning you don't get as far as seven years, because the Yovel is going to interrupt, right? So Yovel Motzio. And if you want, if you would think that it was Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov who said, Sachir, Sachir, like this again, this Gzer Shava, then what do I need it for? Nelev Sachir, Sachir. This is why do I need this verse? Let him also derive that the guy who is sold by the court, to, who is going to be released at the Jubilee year, is going to be like also part of that sachir sachir. Can't you just include it under the same case as the person who sold himself and not? Why does a person who's been sold by baiting or or put into servitude by baiting 
Why does that person need a whole separate way of learning the case? So Nachman Bar Yitzchak says that the the really what it means is the Rebbelezer Ben Yaakov um, is going to derive that that analogy right the Gzair Shava Sachir and from Sachir ve'itzrich and it's it's necessary to learn the halacha from the verse. What does that mean? That's the case, and you say he sold himself, but he did not transgress anything. Right? He didn't have any wrongdoing in this action. You might think that, however, that when he's sold by Beitin, it's because they're kind of a, they're they're setting him up, him up to pay back for some kind of transgression. He couldn't pay a va- back a value of a theft, meaning what brings you to baiting to begin with to end up being sold into servitude, even temporarily? Yeah, nothing gets you to baiting until somebody's made a complaint against you, right? So there's going to be some kind of penalty. And then you might think that the Yovel wouldn't do the job. Maybe the fact that he's paying back a penalty will mean that Yovel will not free him. And the answer is, no, even this guy is also going to be freed from the Yovel. So, that's like on the one hand, we haven't yet gotten to the part of who doesn't hold according to the Xerashava. And on the other hand, we have explored, um, or the Gemara really has explored what might be an exemption or you know, something that is an exception to the policy of these the term of the Xerashava specifically that the Yovel will release either kind of slave. Um, look, I think it's interesting to see how much discussion is generated by this one Gezer Shava, and that there's a series of different halachot or ways to interpret what it is. So I, you know, I, I'll, I'll continue on a little bit now with Ahmed Bet, where at the beginning, at the bottom of Ahmed Aleph, there's basically a discussion about, you know, Ella Mantana de Loyalif Sahir Sahir, right? Who's the Tana who doesn't use this Gezer Shava of Sahir Sahir? It turns out to be Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. I'm, I'm talking a little bit now outside of the daf, not reading the actual words here. Um, and, you know, basically what Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi says is that uh, he's talking about how that a Hebrew slave who's sold to a non-Jew, the only way that he can be redeemed is through his relative and not after six years of, of, uh, of work. And they explain a little bit like what he does, why he doesn't do sahir sahir. Um, and then it goes on to say that, uh, you know, who disagrees with him? So now I'm reading in the middle of Ahmed Bet, Montana de Pligi ala de Rabbi, right? Who actually disagrees with Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi? Rabbi Yossi Haglili for Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yossi Haglili and Rabbi Akiva. Now, some of the things that are interesting here is that, first of all, this is a great example of where you see Machlokas that's not chronological, right? In other words, Rabbi Yossi Haglili and Rabbi Akiva are not of the same generation as Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Now, now, again, some of it is that Rabbi Hudanasi is of his own stature, so he can disagree with Tanayim from generations that precede him. But this is also something that we do typically see. We even see this sometimes between generations of Tanayim and Amorayim. The idea is, is that anyone can disagree with each other, right? There's different methodologies or way of learning some of this Mitrash Halakha. It doesn't have to be stuck within. You don't have to be a lot. Your Machlokas doesn't have to take place just because you were living at the same time. And so now they're going to quote a Bryson to explain this, right? Detanya, lo yiga el be'ela, 
right? He is not redeemed by any of these, which is quoting this pasuk from Vayikra, chapter 25, verse 54. Rabbi Yossi Aglili says that by saying, uh, by any of these, right, this shows that redemption by one by one's relatives is to freedom, right? You become entirely free. But right, but if uh, but if you're redeemed by anybody else, right, who wants to pay this non-Jewish owner, it's basically to slavery. In other words, you're just exchanging one master for another master. Rabbi Akiva Mer Be'ela, Rabbi Akiva explains this word Be'ela Lishibut, meaning that if a slave is redeemed by anyone else who pays this non-Jewish master, they go to slavery, right? In other words, the redeemed slave basically becomes indentured to whoever redeemed them until he repays back the cost of his redemption. Um, uh, but, but if, uh, but if he's, re- but, but by the relatives, right. Who redeem him to, uh, sorry, but th- that's by relatives redeemed to slavery. But if he's redeemed by anybody else, then he goes to freedom. Okay. So they sort of, they do, they each don't use the, they disagree with Rabbi, with Rabbi, but they also each have a differing opinion about when do you go free, when do you go to slavery. The Gemara then from there is going to explain uh, why it is that they, uh, wh- why it is, why, why do they have these opinions, right? My time is Rabbi Yosef Amar Kra, Im Lo Yigael Be'ela, Ela Ba'acher Be'yata B'Shnah HaYovel, Rabbi Akiva Amar, Im Lo Yigael Ela Be'ela Be'yata B'Shnah HaYovel, Right. So in other words, what's the reason for both of these? Uh, so the the Pasuk basically talks about this redeemed slaves who's freed if he's not redeemed by any of these, meaning relatives. But if he's redeemed by another, then he goes free the Yovel year, not earlier. So that means he becomes enslaved. That's how Rabbi Yossi Aglili understands these Pasukim. Whereas Rabbi Akiva would say if he's not redeemed in any other matter, but only by any of these, then he goes free. The Yobel year, what he's explaining here is that if he's redeemed by relatives, he's um, he's only made free, right, at, you know, at during the Yobel year. But if he's redeemed by others, then he would be freed immediately. And so then they want to say, right, so then Rabbi Yossi Haglili, why don't you explain it the way that Rabbi Akiva does? What do you do with Ela Be'ela, right? What do you do with that? And so they're going to go on to say, right? So what's the disagreement with Rabbi Yossi Aglili and Rabbi Akiva about, okay? Um, so rather what they're going to say is, okay, is that, oh, dodo, oh, ben dodo yigaleno, zegula krovim, oh, hisagayato, zogulat atzmo, benigael, zogulat acherim. So in other words, how they're going to say is that the, in, the, the way Rabbi Akiva wants to interpret these verses is a problem. So the Gemara is actually going to take back, it's going to retract how they explained it before. And then instead, they're going to say, this is actually what the disagreement is about. Here, they're going to quote a pasuk from Vayikra, chapter 25, verse 49, which talks about that his uncle or his uncle's son, meaning relatives can redeem him or any other relative, any other family can redeem him. Or if he becomes rich, he is redeemed. So what it's saying here is that either his uncle or his uncle's relative from redeem him, this is the redemption that we talk about by relatives, or if he becomes rich, right, this is the redemption he can do by himself, and he is redeemed, this is redemption by other people. 
And now here's the part that's getting interesting because here it's not going to have to do with interpretation of verses. It's going to have to do with how do we interpret verses. So Rabbi Yossi thinks that a verse is basically mikra nidrash lefanav. A verse is interpreted homiletically, basically having to do with, with the juxtaposition to the verse that is in front of it, lefanav. One should compare the case of the redemption of the relatives to the case of the redemption that he does by himself. Just as one can redeem himself to freedom, so therefore the redemption of relatives is also to freedom. The Rav Yekiva has a different rule for homiletic interpretation. He says that you juxtapose the, the, the verse that's in question is juxtaposed to the verse that comes after it, not to the verse that comes before it. And therefore, and so therefore, he's going to say that what? That one has to compare the redemption done by others to the redemption done by himself. Right? So just as the redemption performed by himself is to freedom. So that's the one that everybody agrees with. He is allowed to redeem himself. But the question becomes, right? Is it the relatives who can redeem him to freedom or is it others who redeem him to freedom? And based on where those psukim are placed is how you're going to understand it. So because Rabbi Yossi Aglili says it's lefanav, he's going to compare relatives to redeeming yourself. So those go to freedom. Because Rabbi Akiva holds that it's l'acharav, he's going to compare himself to others. And that's the only cases where one can be redeemed to freedom. But relatives, he actually becomes enslaved to his relatives. So the Gemara is going to continue and explore this a little bit more as well. But I think it's interesting to see that we have multiple ways of interpretation, right? One is becomes an answer, uh, becomes a question about the Gezer Shava of Sahir Sahir. And here with this Machlokas of Rabbi Yossi Aglili and Rabbi Akiva, it becomes a question of, from a principle point of view, from a methodological point of view, you know, when we need to compare psukim, are you going to the psukim that are before? Are you going to the psukim that become afterwards? And based on how you understand this, you're going to end up with a very, very different set of halachot uh, around this particular issue, right? Who can actually redeem the slave to freedom, and 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 who redeems the slave? Another form of of slavery. So I think it's interesting to see that it's not just about the interpretation of the words of the psukim, but there's also something methodological that takes place here that will inform your interpretation. As I'm going to raise that question, which I know we don't have an answer to, but you know, when when would each kind of thing be done, right? When was a term allowed to continue without somebody coming to redeem it? I don't mean if there were no relatives, right? Like, let's say you have the people who could redeem. Do they ever say, no, we're not going to bother? Or do they come quickly? You know, I, it's it's a curious thing to, that you spend so much time deriving who's eligible. And I understand that the halacha needs to, you know, distinguish that, to differentiate that. But on the other hand, like, there, we don't have, a, a, at least at this point, right, we don't have an example of when people actually came to do this versus when they chose not to or if they could choose not to. Right. I, I, I agree. And I, I think it's interesting to see also, like, again, thinking about our discussion in general about, um, 
you know, slavery, it's very clear that there was like a lot of fluidity in that particular situation. In other words, this was somebody who needed to sell themselves to slavery. So there's a lot of different methods to get yourself out of it. I like your idea the other day about not like let's avoid or at least, you know, in our minds, remind ourselves constantly that this slavery is not the same as other slavery. It's still a class issue. It's still, you know, indenturedness, whatever. But it's not the same thing as when we think of American whatever, right? The American slave trade and that. It's a, it's just a different kind of thing, in part because of the agency of the person who ends up there to begin with, even a thief. Right, who can't pay back whatever he's supposed to pay, and the bait team puts him in, puts him into slavery. It's that's like akin to what we now would talk about jail, right? Like it's and so it's a way to redeem himself, even through his own actions, to get himself out of it. It's not at all like the life sentence or whatever that that was in the place in America in the a few centuries ago, and not even. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's just what we have to keep. We're we're talking about something totally different here. Well, that's our tap discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this app on our Talking Time with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.